Welcome to the Work Wonders Podcast, where we simplify HR for small business. I'm Angela. And I'm Susan. Let's dive into today's episode and see what you've been wondering about. Today, it's interview time. We're delighted to introduce you to our guest. Gavin King is an associate and the director of insolvency at Condon Advisory Group, a national firm of forensic solvency and turnaround practitioners right here in Parramatta. Gavin has a very interesting work history and some unique insights to share with us. We're strong believers in learning from other people directly where possible rather than reading a book or attending a course. I guess that's why this podcast exists. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Gavin about his career journey and what he's learnt along the way. So let's get started. This is the Work Wonders Podcast. Welcome, Gavin. We're delighted to have you here. We always find people's career stories fascinating. Can we start by asking you to give our listeners an overview of how you came to be what you are doing today? Yep, no problems. Um, it starts you know, in 2005 um, when I finished my university degree and finished a business degree in commerce with accounting as a major and then decided I don't like doing accounting, <laughs> um, which is interesting when you're finishing a business degree going, well, what am I going to do? Um, and I had a, a, f- a friend working in an insolvency practice who got my start in insolvency 15, 17 years ago. So mm-hmm. here I am today um, working with Condens after working at a couple of other firms, always in the mid-tier, focused on SMEs. Um, and, you know, it's in the last couple of years that I've started focusing on, you know, I've developed that technical background that you need to be an insolvency practitioner. And now I'm starting to work with managing the people, the staff and winning work in as well. Yeah, so Gavin, that's quite a transition, isn't it? Going from the technical side of things and, uh, you know, gaining all your skills and your competencies and qualifications to then, you know, if you progress in your career, you're eventually going to have to manage staff. So have you found that transition? Um, it's interesting. The benefit of being an insolvency practitioner is that you do actually start dealing with some of those employment issues from a work perspective rather than necessarily dealing with your own staff. Right. Um, because <laughs> so you get to practice you get a lot of people's little bit businesses. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Reflecting back on it and you know, preparing for this, I was thinking you know, how many times have I had to sit down in conversation with staff and say, you know, you're being terminated or you know, them wow. facing this major milestone change because not their own actions, if that makes sense. Like, you know, a lot of times people want to move on from employment. They make a decision. But in where we get involved, it's almost fostered on, foisted on them rather than them making that decision. So um, it's interesting. But then those skills don't necessarily translate into how do you manage staff, productivity, right. all that sort of stuff as well. And did your training, like your commerce degree and your um, other qualifications, did any of that prepare you for the human aspect? Oh, not at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it may have, but the problem for, for me is I finished my degree in 2005, mm. whereas with a traditional accounting type career progression, you sort of start at the junior level, you work up through a senior or an intermediate senior um, supervisor, which is where you sort of start managing staff. And that can be five, six, seven years before you even start dealing with people. And then you're not really dealing with them in a managerial sense. You're dealing with them and getting work out of them. Um, you're not necessarily right. managing, you know, how do they feel about their job and all that soft skill stuff. That doesn't really happen until you're almost hitting that partner level. Yeah, so you're really supervising and doing similar work yourself and making sure they're doing their bit of it. Exactly right, yeah. You're, you're mm. sort of, you know, you're structuring the work to meet budgets and stuff like that, as most people have to do. And so you don't necessarily take on a lot of that role because it's not the you know, position. 
Yeah, so that would be a common experience, I imagine, for people in professional services, you know, whether it be law, accounting. Yeah, I imagine it would be, you know, so we, part of the role, we deal with a lot of lawyers and I think they face the same sort of thing where, you know, they're, you know, progressed through the technical ranks and then they're starting to hit that managerial level and going, you know, how do I deal with staff? What do I do? Um, how do I, you know, there's this other layer of stuff that you don't even really appreciate that your boss was dealing with you <laughs> until you're looking at it on the other side going, ah, oh, now I know why he took me out for that lunch or that conversation. <laughs> going, oh, I sort of understand now. Yeah, you see so, the other side of the coin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes it can be a bit of a shock, I imagine. Oh, most definitely. It's like, you know, you everyone thinks they're doing quite well in the job and then there's this other set of skills that you just don't know you needed a lot of the mid-tier firms that I was in prior to coming to a really small firm is that there's certain people like you have a proper HR function or there's you exactly. know, other processes in place, whereas that comes to me as the, the associate at Condon to deal with yeah. those issues and stuff like that. So you don't get to palm it off to what I call the janitorial role of HR. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> Cleaning not. Cleaning up other people's mess, you've got to yeah. handle it. And that is, that's a common experience mm. for anyone in small business, from, the owners, from owners to managers. Yeah. Yeah, but I think also what comes with it is this idea of, you know, when I was in mid-tier, finding another staff member was easy because, you know, you had a progression in place, whereas if you're a bit smaller, you've got to make, be mindful of, you know, how much effort goes into training someone and all that sort of practice as well that I probably didn't have a much, you know, understanding of prior as well. Yeah, and I think um, Angela would probably agree with me. One of the difficulties that smaller businesses have is providing that career path. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And that's where sort of the focus of our recruiting, the Condons, is about that career path. You know, I'm looking at taking my next step in my progression. So I'm looking at those underneath me going, okay, you're going to take this into where I'm sitting, basically. Who's going to fill the shoes that you're in and trying to yeah. fill those yeah. gaps and stuff like that. And, you know, that's part of our offer that we're trying to differentiate the offer that we have for potential employees versus other firms. That's really good, isn't it? And I think what I've noticed is that Condons have a good association with the local university, mm. Western Sydney University. And, well, being um, a graduate here myself, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. But for any of our listeners, it can often help to be able to yeah, work in with whatever training institutions are in your area and make sure you get involved and get to know what they're offering for their students so you can become a part of that and help build up that talent pool. And Gavin, in addition to your role at Condens, is there anything else that you have uh, around you that supports you? Yeah, so I've, as part of my personality, I think I've got this need to give back to the you know, the businesses that are supporting us in business. Um, so I've taken on the role of Secretary of the Penrith Valley Chamber of Commerce. Um, and, you know, part of that decision-making process was to be able to give back to other businesses in the area, um, as well as help, you know, network with people and all that sort of stuff, as chambers tend to allow you to do. Um, and I've really enjoyed that role in trying to help develop the Penrith Chamber so that it can grow its business so it really ties in with what I do as my sort of core business as well. We hope you're enjoying the guest on our podcast today. Keep listening for a special offer they have for you coming up very soon. And now it's back to the interview. I've got a question for you, Gavin. I'd love to know in your line of work and your experience, where have you seen things go wrong in terms of HR? In a lot of what we see, it's the lack of record keeping. Um, and that's normally a key driver for some of the business failures that we see. Um, and that comes down to the employee stuff as well. Like, you know, the amount of times we've walked in as a, a liquidator or administrator and gone, give us the employee records. And the director <laughs> looks at you funny going, employee records? Here's the pay slips. You know, mm. That's not quite enough to understand someone's employment relationship with the company. You know, have they kept up to date contracts, all that sort of stuff? Where's just your policies and procedures? Because if we're going to trade that business on, the risk for the employee liabilities and all that sort of stuff falls with us as the liquidators or administrators. 
and we really need to understand, you know, what are the obligations do we have as the employer to those employees? Um, and imagine that's a, you know, a running theme through a lot of them is that stuff just doesn't exist because the business has got other issues and the employment stuff seems to fall away a little bit. So, Gavin, you've told us about what can be a, an issue when you go in, you know, people-wise, when you go into an organisation. Have you seen organisations that have done it really well? You know, they know things are going downhill. How can they prepare for that? Um, it's engaging with the staff. So the staff understand that the company is not doing as well as it should be and the reasons for that, you know, could be varied and many. But the staff don't necessarily need to know that. They need to understand where the next paycheck's coming from, giving them the understanding that, you know, there is another paycheck coming it's not all doom and gloom that if the administrator is called in, these are the steps that are going to happen. And one of the most effective ones we've seen of that was when we walked in day one with the um, government forms to assist the employees to get their outstanding oh, yes. wages and stuff paid. They had that all ready to go. So we walked into the employees. We had meetings with employees on day one and said, you know, here's the forms and got that stuff processed. And I think they had their employment entitlements paid out within six weeks. Um, that's all their annual leave, redundancy, all that sort of stuff. So that made that process a lot smoother than I've seen historically. And I would imagine for employees, you know, it's also about having adequate warning, isn't it? You know, don't just drop the bomb on them. Yeah, exactly right. And that's, in a lot of cases, you know, sometimes the directors are keeping it all in their own heads. Like yeah. The ones that do engage with the staff tend to find the staff are like understanding of it. Um, obviously, the staff don't want to go for weeks and weeks without being paid. But if they understand that there's going to be you know, a short gap while the administrator gets their head around it or there is funds available to pay it, they just got to get stuff transferred or anything like that. then they do understand that, you know, it is ongoing. But it also allows that opportunity for the staff to you know, go off and potentially look at other things while the administrator is exactly. doing their job. And that's the, the key point is, you know, they are going to be potentially terminated. But how do you manage that process with them? And do you think that's what makes the difference in those situations? Yeah, most of it, it's the engagement. You know, most people want to be told, like, it's if you're left in the dark, it's you don't know what's coming. Um, and that's the scariest thing, I think, as an employee. Even as a, as a boss, you're looking at going, you know, trying to manage that relationship with the staff can be quite difficult. Yeah. Um, especially when there's that unknown. And you know as the director that you're potentially going to have to deal with these staff and all that sort of stuff. And if they've been your friends and family for a long time, it can be quite difficult to sometimes have those conversations. Yeah. I think one of my bottom lines in dealing with staff is treat them like adults. Yeah, most definitely. Treat them like you'd want to be treated yourself. Yeah. Exactly. So, Gavin, I'm thinking that those times where you've had to, you know, at the end of the line where staff are having to be let go, that's a really tough thing. How do you rebound from those situations? Yeah, it's probably a skill that I've had to develop over the last 15, 17 years that I've been doing the insolvency because it's not something that comes naturally to most people, I don't think, in understanding that I'm here to sort a business issue and how do I separate that from my personal feelings about that issue? Don't get me wrong, it's gut-wrenching to have to walk into a room and tell, you know, 50 people that they're about to lose their jobs and, you know, they're going to be a while before they get paid again. But it's you know, having structures around in your family life, having a manager you can go talk to and having the awareness um, to be able to go create that real separation in your own mind that this is my business job. Um, it's got nothing to do with me personally. Um, in saying that, it's still really hard to disconnect. Even now I find it hard sometimes. When someone's going through a really tough situation, you've got the person on the phone who's crying, who's really dealing with some deep issues because of what's happened. Um, but it's, you know, having that empathy involved in the process and just saying, yes, I understand. Um, but then it's being able to go home and, you know, have the chat with your spouse or with someone else that you can really have that deep conversation with and just let your feelings be released a little bit because they do get bottled up sometimes because you can't deal with it in the moment um, as much as you probably would love to be able to go out and scream and yell and, release the stress that way. Um, it's being able to have it contained, but then being able to 
get away from the office and really have that conversation with someone to mentally release. So it's interesting in that context that you've gone out and got yourself qualified with the Mental Health First Aid Certificate. Yep, Is that's that what right. it's called? Yeah, Yeah, I think it's the Mental Health First Aider, Aider. The Mental Health right. First Aid Association of Australia, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that's a qualification that was being done and provided to some um, accountants out there at the moment. Um, and it's designed around helping, especially in our industry, in this obviously where you are dealing with people who are going through financial difficulty, um, in circumstances, and that creates a lot of um, mental health issues just because it's a financial problem that leads to mental problems normally. Um, so part of a, the offering that we have is to make sure that we understand some of those issues um, because we haven't necessarily dealt with them ourselves personally. We don't know who we need, should be directing people to talk to and all that sort of stuff. So the Mental Health First Aid Program is one that was designed to give us an understanding of what some of the warning signs are for people having first mental health problems and not just sort of the usual depression type ones, but if they're having alcohol abuse problems and a lot of other sort of bipolar issues and stuff like that. And what are those first warning signs that having a discussion with someone can really draw out and just being able to then give you the tools to listen to that person a bit more and develop a bit more of an understanding of what the issue they're going through so that you can direct them to people who can assist them going through that issue mm. that they're having. Um, because, you know, it's all well and good for us to come in and deal with the financial problem. But if that doesn't help the mental problems that they've created because of the financial then that's not going to help them into the future and that's not a, you know, a good outcome for that person that's sitting opposite us and ultimately that's the goal. That's great, Gavin. I really commend you and Condon for doing that because I imagine that you know, that's a huge benefit to your mm. clients. But one of the, the interesting parts is, is you're sitting there doing it and you don't just recognise it for some of the clients that we've dealt with and unfortunately you know, I have had the circumstance where I'm assisting someone with potentially going through a bankruptcy process only to find out that they've taken the ultimate decision which was to you know, take their life. It's heartbreaking. Because I'm looking at it as a financial problem, but now that I've you know, developed this, the, the first aid program, I have a bit more of an understanding to go, yeah, I'm dealing with a financial problem, but maybe I can help them in another way as well and help that person. And um, for us, you know, like I said before, it's the goal for us is to help that person on the other side of the desk, not necessarily what's going to you know, just make financial sense. Well, if I can take it back to the people perspective, Gavin, sometimes people love HR and sometimes people don't. <laughs> There's some good parts, some bad parts. I'd love to hear from you what you like in managing people. Um, it's getting to know them. One of the things that I say about myself is, you know, I like to really get to know the staff and really interact with them. Sometimes it does cause some issues because you, you get a bit too close as the boss. How do you toe that line between boss and friend and all that sort of stuff, which I imagine a lot of people out there <laughs> have to deal with. Um, and I think it makes it even worse when you come from a technical role into a managerial role, creating that bit of separation. Um, but also, you know, trying to get the best out of them, really see them develop their careers. Like I've had some great managers um, through my time and you know, trying to mentor myself and how they took the role of the, the person manager versus the technical manager. Um, and trying to work out what works with my personality and my style and stuff like that. And the hard question, what about things that you not, maybe don't like so much? At the moment it's recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> um, only because there's, you know, it's really difficult to find staff mm. that can see you know, what we're offering because you know, a lot of the time it is about the money and all that sort of stuff. But for us we can't necessarily offer what some of the bigger employees out there are offering but, you know, where we really focus on that, you know, your career development, your development as a whole rounded professional um, versus just a technical staff person. Yeah. So, Gavin, from your experience, I know you've tackled um, some of the harder times in business, but for our listeners, can you give them one thing maybe they could take away today that they could do better in their own business in managing their people? Um, I think it's having those conversations, but then early intervention with it. It's, you know, always maintaining having those conversations regularly, frequently, all that sort of thing. 
um, where we find from the insolvency perspective where they've engaged um, with the staff through that process that makes all the difference. Um, an interesting one that I was involved with actually was involved the unions and stuff like that. And obviously unions, when it comes to insolvency, are always very aggressive because they're there for the staff. And you know, I'm fully appreciative that their role there is to make sure their staff either get their entitlements that they're entitled to or make, make sure they can continue in their positions. And probably you know, before, you know, we, we tended to be quite aggressive towards some unions and stuff like that because the idea of insolvency practitioners are they're just going to come in, take all the money and the employees leave with nothing. But we walked into this one, you know, the staff had been engaged by the company prior. You know, we had the meeting with the staff on the Friday afternoon, on the Friday morning, sorry, and it was sort of, we were appointed on the Wednesday. Um, but we knew going into that meeting that we we're having a meeting with one of the major debtors of the company to release a lot of money that would allow us to then pay those wages and stuff like that. So getting the unions understanding that we weren't just, we understood that the company had no money today to pay the wages for Monday but we we're having meetings with relevant people later in the day to try and get the funds flowing to be able to continue the employment and all that sort of stuff. And again, it's that early intervention and you know the understanding that we can't solve all the problems immediately, but having that plan of solving the problem is probably key. Mm. Communication, I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah. communication is yeah. the biggest thing. And for us in our industry, there's a lot of stakeholders involved in what we do. It's not just the um, employees, the directors, there's government bodies, there's the shareholders... There's the people that are money by the company, but then there's also the industries that flow down from it. Like, you know, if we're in the middle of it, some sort of supply chain and we collapse, then there's that downstream that has all the other issues. And, you know, the building industry is probably the classic example of that at the moment where you have these big, big builders failing um, and then all the subcontractors underneath them having issues because, you know, they can't collect the money that they're owed. I don't know if you noticed the way Gavin says we, if we did this. <laughs> so you obviously you know, really care about your clients and treating them well. Oh, exactly right. Like we're here to try and you know, help businesses through our process and it is just our process. Um, obviously you can't save everything. Um, mm. you know, as much as we want to be able to save every business, it's just not feasible. The funds aren't there. Um, the business of the company doesn't exist anymore for various reasons. You know, If their supply chain collapses above them, Clearly they can't do it anymore and things like that. Um, or the directors have funded as much as they can they can't borrow anymore. Um, and those sort of businesses just aren't there, which is why we always say the early intervention is the best intervention. So on the theme of early in- intervention, Gavin, you've got an offer for our listeners today. Would you care to explain that? Yeah, we do indeed. Um, so at Condon Advisory, obviously we the focus for us is forensic accounting, solvency and turnaround. And all those areas could deal with early intervention. And the better you in, have some intervention, the, the better it is. We like to think of it like a, a specialist. You know, your GP says you've got to go get some scans and you, you, know, you get the scans and it's you know, a small cancer. Then the first thing you do is go get a specialist involved at that stage. You don't wait three years and go back to your GP and say, oh, I never got those scans done. You, you know, you've, you've gone and got the scans done and spoken to the specialist. We like to think of ourselves as that specialist. Our offer today is to do a, a free introductory meeting about how we can help businesses. Um, and again, it's forensic accounting, insolvency and turnaround. So it's a fairly broad structure. It can be the formal insolvency type events, but also can be business advisory around structuring your business, how to protect yourself as a director. One of our, our business tagline is our business is protecting yours. And that stretches a lot further than just the business that you're in at the moment. It's how do you structure it for a sale? How do you protect yourself in case, you know, we come knocking in our professional capacity as a liquidator or a trustee? You know, asset management, risk management, those sort of things as well. So it's not just the solvency and turnaround type stuff, although that's the bread and butter of what we do. Well, that's great. So we're going to provide a link so you can access this offer in the show notes and on our website. And Gavin's contact details are also going to be in the show notes. 
We'd like to thank Gavin King from the Condon Advisory Group for joining us for today's episode. We hope that you got some helpful takeaways. And is there anything that stood out for you? Make sure you let us know. We always love your feedback. Remember, you can find the complete show notes for today over on our website, workwonderspodcast.com.au. We've got many more guests coming your way and we're open to suggestions. So if you have some ideas of who you'd like us to talk to, please get in touch. Thank you for listening to the Work Wonders podcast. Hit subscribe now so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's, why not tell your friend and maybe even leave us a review? So what have you been wondering about? You can pop onto our website, workwonderspodcast.com.au and let us know. We'll talk to you again soon.